Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast, hosted by Dave Jenkins. The Equipping You in Grace podcast is a podcast about helping Christians develop a biblical worldview in a conversational tone about issues inside and outside the church. Now, for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this show. And joining us on today's episode is Laura Perry Smaltz. Laura lived for nearly a decade as a transgender man named Jake before realizing the deception of the transgender lifestyle and leaving it all behind. Embracing her true identity as a woman, she now shares her story at churches and conferences and articles on various programs to help others find freedom in Christ. Laura is on staff with First Stone Ministries in Oklahoma City and has been featured in the American Family Association documentary In His Image. Laura, welcome to Equipping You in Grace. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, I am really excited. I've been pumping up this as the special guest for the month. And so uh, you are the special guest. And so welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I'm so <laughs> humbled to be here. You know, honestly, it's funny because several years ago, I would have never believed I would be talking about these issues. So. Right, right. Now, yeah. All glory to God. Amen. Well, you know, let's let's get into the book. Uh, you know, tell us about this book, Transgender Transform, a story of transition that will truly set you free. Why you wrote it? How how has it been received? Well, this book is um, was really my story of how I came out, and I really go through some of the details. And my prayer was really that the book would speak not only to those that were struggling with gender and sexuality but really to uh, wherever people are at in their life. Um, because I, I went through a lot of rebellion before I went, came out as transgender. And so I had, at one point in high school, I told God I would never serve him again. I wanted to be the opposite of a Christian. I was just m- most angry, narcissistic, selfish person. And the fact that God rescued me is, is such an incredible story. I still get amazed by my own story because it, it's God's story. It's not really my story. I feel like I just, I get to be a part of his story. Um, but I, you know, I, that's, that was really the heart behind the book is really to, but um, show people how God rescued me and how really it wasn't me fixing myself, but it really was the Lord's work. And he pursued me when I didn't want to be pursued. My parents were praying and people in the church were praying and it's just like this miracle unfolded. And it was, it's just an incredible story. Even to me, I still get blown away by God's goodness and his faithfulness in spite of um, my absolute rebellion and really spitting in the face of God. And yet he loved me and sought me. And then in the, I also give some, just some helpful information, um, both to parents and to strugglers of gender issues. So, um, but I think the heart really is, it's just, it's an evangelistic book, really chronicling the story of how Jesus rescued me. Yeah. You know, you, you, um, you talk in the book about even, um, you know, how you were, you know, I don't know if, if the right way to say this, hurt by the church or you had experience with the church and that really impacted, you know, how you viewed the church. And, you know, it seemed like as I was reading this book, you know, that really affected, you know, your engagement with the church and maybe even contributed to some of the, you know, the the issues that came, you know, from that, stem from that. Is that would you say that that would be, you know, correct? Yeah, you know, and I I look back and I think so much of it was my perception. I was so angry. And I think this is so true. There's, you know, as I hear lots of stories from parents and I talk to strugglers, and I think so often our our perceptions are not 100% accurate. Um, But I think the truth was that my, the church that I grew up in was going through a very difficult time. Uh, We were under a pretty legalistic kind of pastor who really, I mean, was doing his best, but um, it was very dry um, and not didn't really talk about the Lord's work in us. It was always like um, very performance based, you know, you working hard for God, but um, really no talk of the Holy Spirit's role um, in just helping us um, in our daily lives and really learning to listen 
to what the Lord is saying rather than, um, you know, just trying to perform for him. My mom said she used to feel like she was on this performance treadmill for God, like she could never be good enough. And so, um, but I think as a result, there was a lot of just strife and division in the church. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. People always thought we were the perfect family and we didn't have any problems. (laughs) I think there's such a lack of humility and realness in the church, which is, I think is a major issue. Why, you know, people need to know that we struggle. And I've heard from some LGBT people that they said um, they were, they felt condemned in the church, but everybody else acted like they didn't have any problems. And I think, uh, why, why are we not more real in the church? That that's one thing I would love to see more in the church. Cause I love the body of Christ. I love the church, mm-hmm. but it's like, let's stop pretending like we're all fine because <laughs> we all are a mess. We all need Jesus every day. Yeah. Every moment, every nanosecond, right. even, right. I mean, yeah, there is there is that view out there. You know, I've been a Christian my most of my majority of my life uh, since childhood, and there is that there is that view out there. Just be stoic, just pretend, just you know, put on an air of appearance, and it's like, well, what do we? Where do we see that in in the Bible? You know, uh, we instead we see the opposite. That's called play acting, and that's hypocrisy. Um, and so we 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 do have to. You know, be honest and and uh, transparent appropriately. Of course, yeah. you know we're not talking about like oversharing about our struggles or anything like that, or making our struggles the focus of, you know, what we share or anything like that. We're we're talking about you know talking about what the, like you said about what the Lord is doing in our lives as we're reading and studying and meditating on Scripture. That's where we hear God clearly. Um, so, and finally and fully as well, but. Uh, you know, you were talking about your your mom, and what were those first conversations with her like? You know, that led uh, to your detransitioning. Well, you know, she had been um, she had a very legalistic view of Christianity growing up, and so what I saw as a result now now that I've become a stepmom, I'm really beginning to understand what it's like to be a parent. So I I didn't have the grace for it then. But she was so stressed out. She was burned out and just frustrated all the time. And as a, as a result, a lot of times it was like, go away, get off of me, leave me alone, go to your room. And so I felt very pushed away. And all I saw was this very stressed out Christian. My view of being a Christian was just like you working um, your tail off for God and um, like exhausting yourself for God. I, you know, but all of a sudden, when when we started talking about it, started with um, she actually asked me to make a website for this Bible study she was teaching, and she didn't realize I was going to read the lessons, and I really wasn't reading them at first. I was kind of skimming them to summarize them for the website. I was just looking for like a quote or two, you know, just something I could just to really make the the website look better. Really was my only motivation, or or to help people know what the lesson was about. And, uh, but things would just jump out at me. And so I started calling her, just asking her some questions about what she was teaching. And she learned to just kind of answer my question and, you know, not because she wanted to tell me all kinds of things, right. You know, but she learned to just kind of answer my questions where I was at. And so eventually I, um, I started calling her more and more and more and about six months went by and I was like, mom, what happened to me six months ago? I was 180 degrees from where I am now. And I said, all I want is to hear the word of God. And that had never been true in my life. I had never felt like I just really wanted God's word. I, I don't remember. I hear so many people talk about how much they love God as a kid. Maybe I've just blocked those memories, but I don't have any memories of really loving God as a kid, of wanting God, of wanting to read the word. I always felt like it was forced on me and I just rebelled against that. But um, my mom said, well, I've been praying that God would draw you back like a magnet. It's like, wow that's what God has done. I was stunned by this. And then, but in that, on that, I think it was that same day where we were having this conversation and I realized like her simple answer of like, she had just been praying for me. And I realized, um, as I looked back over the last several years, my mom had increasingly become more and more patient, filled with faith, filled with peace, things I had never seen in my mom. And God used this journey of rebellion that I went through to really draw her to the Lord. And so she was just radically transformed through all of this. And uh, so it really, a lot of it was the change in her that ultimately brought me to Christ. 
but um, but an encouragement to parents. So I this was only one thing that God used. It's one I frequently talk about because I love the redemption of our stories. Um, God kind of wove our stories together. But honestly, God was using so many other things. There are I I bet I could point to thirty radio programs that had a major impact on my life because so I was listening to so much and God was using lots of different sources. I ended up at a job where my boss was a Christian um, and just so many things. So if you if you don't have a good relationship with your child, God has endless resources all over the world. He can use anybody to reach your child. Yeah. That reminds me of something John Piper used to say, or still probably says that, you know, we might see one thing that God is doing, but he's doing, well, in, in, an infinite, he wouldn't say an infinite amount, but he says, you know, it's hyperbolic, but he says 10,000, 10,000 things, but he means right. infinity, you know, and that, that's just a, a testimony to God's providence and, you know, the sovereignty of God at work in our lives. So that's, that's really, that's really wonderful uh, to, to hear. Well, how did, how did your experience with the 13 year old boy in the woods and kissing him affect your, your relationship with your dad and shape your view of sex? You know, it was interesting because um, I, when I first started speak, sharing my testimony publicly, I didn't share this particular story a lot, but I realized later what an impact this had on me because when I was little, I didn't have a good relationship with my mom and I was very, very close to my dad. I clung to my dad. I couldn't wait to do stuff with my dad. And like, he would drive all the way home to get me just to run to like the auto parts store because I wanted to go with my dad and he would play games with me every night. So we were incredibly close, but, um, I had already been molested by a boy when I was eight. And then the next year, um, when I was nine, now I was a little less innocent, I think. And uh, this boy took me off into the woods and um, it was just some like really heavy making out and petting and kinds of things. But it, this encounter, I remember feeling so guilty because now this didn't just happen to me innocently. Um, now I felt really guilty in this. And I remember the shame that I felt. And I was so afraid that my dad would find out. I didn't know how all this worked. I didn't know if he could like smell him on me or something. So I was so afraid that my dad would know. And I remember clinging to the side of the truck, trying to get as far away from him as I could because I was so ashamed. And um, I remember downing lots of water. It was like I was trying to wash it away. And I remember thinking that day that I couldn't trust my dad. And my dad had never done anything to, to warrant me not trusting him. My dad had always proven trustworthy. But I was filled with so much shame. It was like when Adam hid in the garden. That's that's really good. Um, you know, I just when I read that, I was like, I'm thinking in the back of my head, what did this what did this dude like, you know, contribute to? Because there's there's a lot of people that, you know, they a lot of guys they get that I talked to over the years um that have been, you know, enslaved to pornography. I was once inside pornography. And, you know, so, you know, I've, I've had a lot of conversations on a lot of different topics with people over the 20 plus years of doing this. And it's like, there's always some sort of moment, you know, that whether you were introduced to it, you walked into the room or, you know, something like that. So when you, when you were talking about, it, I was like thinking about my head, I got to ask her that question because, you know, that, that event might've been like one of the or the the one of the you know when you were eight you know that could have been like a trigger point and people you know you don't you don't have to go back and trace those things i mean it's important i think just to know like what's happened but you don't have to go back and like you know those kind of things but it's important to know like where did this happen and what triggered it and then you know so that you can learn to address it um yeah absolutely i just you know I think that we hide sometimes because we're ashamed and we push people away and we build walls. And I think it was the same thing with my mom. I really, you know, I used to blame her for so much, but honestly, I began to build walls. And there's, I think it's Proverbs 17, 9 that said, he who builds a high wall um, or a high gate invites destruction. And I think sometimes we, we build these high walls and these high gates and we, you know, we say people have to jump this high um, to get to our heart and we, we guard ourselves but honestly, we end up pushing everybody out and we're the ones that end up getting hurt. Um, and then we, as a result, because we're not letting people in, people um, offend us more. We're easily offended and we're, we're sort of have all our, um, we're kind of on edge. And so little things upset us and that, that tape or that, you know, repeats over and over and over in our head. 
And I remember so many instances where my mom would say, you know, do or say something probably pretty minimal. And I would hear the enemy say, see, she doesn't love you. And then I started repeating those things to myself. And I think so much of that, it it begins to, it's this cascading effect. It it starts to build bitterness. It starts to build resentment. And I think there's this two-sided coin of we've been greatly sinned against, but we've also responded in sin. And um, one of the, the, the verses the Lord really highlighted to me in Hebrews 12, 15, and 16 says, looking diligently, lest any man fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. And I've seen this over and over, not only in my life, but in many testimonies that I've heard, many young people I've talked to, that there's always something that happens um, that, that causes bitterness, that causes ungratefulness to the Lord um, for things that have happened in their life. And we allow bitterness to really take root. And that begins to choke out the word of God. It begins to choke out any faith we have. It, it begins to choke out the truth that we know um, because of bitterness. Yeah, yeah, it sure does. Yeah, I, I have a similar, not a similar story, but a different story. When I was 16, I realized that I had bitterness against my dad. And then at the same time, God was working in my dad's life. And then we took a walk. I repented and confessed my sin to the Lord. And then we took a walk the next day instead of going to play golf. And, uh, you know, the Lord reconciled us. Wow. It was, a, it, was, it was an amazing story. It wasn't like for sometimes it happens, you know, over time for us. It was like there was a moment and then there was the next moment and it, everything was different. And it, um it's been different ever since now for, I realized yesterday it's going to, it's been like 25 years since wow. that happened. I'm just like, where did that go? Like, I, I remember walking down that road, you know, I'm like, yeah. oh my goodness, you know? So anyway, it's, it's amazing. But, uh, you know, you had you know, lots of experiences as a high school student with your uncle, you know, the group home in Montana with YWAM on the mission field in Thailand. And, you know, we could go on and on. You know, as you look back on those experiences now, perhaps, you know, years later, um, how do you view those experiences through a Christ-centered lens? Well, now I see that that God was sort of uh, writing my story. You know, he used all those things at the time. um, I mean, in some sense, I it seems like the time at the group home was wasted, you know, because I didn't ultimately come to the Lord. But I know that God used that to really influence my life, to really show me, one, his mercy. But I, I know they planted a lot of seed, but um, honestly, it I just I see the Lord in so many instances trying to rescue or, you know, offering me rescue, we'll say, <laughs> continually turning away from the Lord. And yet the Lord's incredible mercy in it. Yeah, that's 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 really good. You know, as I'm reading, as I read the book and read that part, I'm thinking, you know, you had a really hard time, you know, as you say in the book, it's starting out with. um you know, wanting to be isolated alone. But I think that a lot of that had to do with, you know, the the guilt, maybe the guilt and the shame, and then just wanting to hide and not necessarily just wanting to be alone, but just having a, perhaps, and I'm not trying to tell you how you felt that time either, but, um, you know, maybe that was the guilt and the shame. And so you didn't want to be around anybody because of the guilt and shame. Does that sound about right? Yeah, that's true. And especially um, more so as I got, um, into when I was actually living as trans, you know, in the beginning, I was very out. I was very proud. This is very exciting. But over time, I started hiding more and more and more. And I think people don't realize what it's like to constantly live a lie because I was constantly aware that I was I was female, you know, even though I didn't want to admit it, I wanted so bad. And I convinced myself that I was supposed to be a man, that I was a man on the inside, that I had a male brain, whatever it might be. But I was aware that I had been created female and I could not escape that reality. And so living this lie every single day began to haunt and torment me over time. And, you know, it got so hard to cover up the lies. And I was I became almost neurotic because I was constantly worried about somebody finding out or like if I was having a conversation with somebody, I kept thinking, do they know? Have they figured it out? Um, Am I passing as male? And it, it really began to drive me crazy. And plus all the guilt and shame as well. And just, just feeling like, I know that this is not right. 
And so just going out and going to the store, I felt like I was lying to everybody there because you're presenting this thing that is not true. And so it it just became um, an incredible torment to me. Yeah. You know, I can I can say I mentioned I was enslaved pornography. It's like a perpetual state of, you know, you're 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 being sorry for your sin, but you're not turning away from it and taking any action. And that leads to the guilt and the shame. And I, I see that especially with a lot of men that I talk with. They're like, I can't read. And they have I ask them, I'm like, well, how's your Bible reading and prayer life going? I already I already know what they're gonna say. But yeah. so when they say, you know, I'm not doing it, I said, that's one of the things I'm gonna talk to you about, you know. Uh, because you know, I know like when I was doing it engaging in that years ago now over 20 plus years ago now you know what I wasn't i wasn't uh i wasn't reading the bible i wasn't praying i i didn't have that i didn't have any real hunger for the lord i didn't have a desire for holiness i i wanted to i i would cover over my tracks and like you have talked about and and that's what that's what people entrapped in sexual sin do they whether it's you know your your enslaved pornography homosexuality transgenderism all, all, all sexual sin, you know, you, you hide, you, 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 you play pretend that, you know what, that, that God doesn't see you for what you're doing. And the, the ironic thing is uh, the Bible tells us very clearly God sees and God knows, and there's not one place where you can go where you can hide from God. So, right. Well, what are the, what are the dangers of puberty blockers and uh, medical transition? Well, I think, you know, so much of the puberty blockers, the, the whole idea, first of all, is such a complete lie, um, saying that this is a pause button where people can just sort of pause puberty and then normal puberty will resume. And there's no way that there won't be um, medical consequences. Like there, uh, I heard a, an endocrinologist um, or endocrinologist um, say that you're actually introducing a state of disease where there was no disease before. Um, and this is extremely detrimental. Not only that, but during puberty, you not only um, develop sexual organs or they develop further, I guess you could say, but um, you, there's also brain development, muscle development, bone development. There's so much that happens there that is critical. And they're, they're not long-term studies to say what's actually going to happen to these people long-term. So, you know, it um, they say that normal puberty will resume, but will it be the full puberty or um, does it get truncated? Um, but there, there's lots of other problems with it. For example, uh, the main drug that is used is called Lupron. Lupron is an extremely dangerous drug. And in fact, it's, it's approved for um, precocious puberty, which is puberty that is early onset where it's, it's unnatural for a child at, at five years old to go through puberty but some do. And so they put them on this drug to block puberty at that point. Um, or it's um, used for like endometriosis, for example. But I saw a, um, a doctor that said you would not just, he would not prescribe an extremely dangerous drug like Lubron um, for a, a um, for a medical condition like endometriosis. He said, this is an extremely dangerous drug. Um, and there are, um, Lupron is actually a a drug that is used to chemically castrate sex offenders. So it um, it is wow. it's used in that context, but it's also used as um, um, like a cancer drug or something like that. But um, they there are groups out there of Lupron survivors because this drug has caused so much medical damage. And I've read stories of people that have ended up in wheelchairs and with all kinds of like young teenagers that have ended up with osteoporosis from this drug. And um, all kinds of spinal fractures and just lots of problems. You're already blocking the bone development with puberty, but then you're giving them this drug that is causing further bone loss. Um, so we, I think the the consequences of this are going to be catastrophic. And one of the other problems too is um, with the with these kids that are um, not that I you know I, I don't in any way endorse any kind of sex change operations any medical transition i fight very hard against it but just one of the realities is that they're not telling these kids what this is really like and um they because of like for um what's his name uh, he goes by jazz jennings that the, he had the show on tlc but um i think his real name is jared but um he ended up not having enough tissue um, for the operation that he needed. And they had to use part of the colon 
um, because there wasn't any genital growth down there. So, and then one of the other problems is that um, it's causing lots of just sexual dysfunction. And we really don't have enough studies to say long-term what this is really going to cause, but young kids do not understand what they're going to desire later in life. But um, Marcy Bowers, who I, I don't know his real name, he's a, um, a male to female transgender, one of the most famous surgeons in the world who who does, at least in this area, who performs lots of sex change operations, quote. Um, and he admitted on a video, I think it was in Matt Walsh's documentary, What is a Woman? Or it may have been in a, another clip I saw of him. Um, but he said um, that the boys who have been put on puberty blockers have, have not been able to reach orgasm later. It, he said it is literally zero. It is completely destroying their sexual function. Yeah, the, the thing that... It, it, that's that's uh incredibly shocking but i i think what's interesting is you know you had chris Rifo recently on laura ingram reporting he's done a lot of reporting on texas children's i'm sure you're aware of that too but uh you know they they've they're getting actually investigated by the state because of all these things and so so here you have this estate in texas um, yes, it's conservative, you know, all those things, but they're concerned about what's happening, you know, on on these things, because like you said, nobody knows what ultimately is going to happen because there's not any peer reviewed studies. And then but then we're just told, you know, that they're going to push it no matter what. And it's like, well, then you, you clearly have an agenda behind that, you know. What, what are we what are we trying to do to the to the kids to 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 their families i mean do we do we care um do, do the people that are providing medical care do they care about the kids that they're supposed to care about and then parents are told you don't have any rights you know and the doctor will go ahead and do it and that's why i, I think if i'm remembering the story right that's why Texas Children's is getting investigated. Yeah, I, um, I'm i not familiar with that specific story, but it doesn't surprise me. There have been, um, there are clinics all over the world who are starting to, or governments rather, who are starting to crack down more. I know that in England, the NHS was one of the biggest promoters of this, the national health system in England. And they, they did their own internal investigation. Now, this was never reported in the media, but you can find it in their internal documentation on their website. They have... Um, their, their transcripts of their meetings. And they had a meeting back in, I think it was 2015, where they conclusively showed that the um, transition therapies for these minors was not helping at all. And when they were blocking um, puberty, the, the rates of um, depression and suicide attempts were about the same. Um, so, and of course these kids weren't getting like the proper counseling and stuff they needed. So, you know, they, they weren't necessarily getting um better or worse, it, it was saying about the same, but then in some areas that actually did get worse, especially for the girls, um, the mental health was actually getting worse. Tragic. What is, what is the truth about regret and why we don't hear from detransitioners? Well, I think, you know, it's, <laughs> it's kind of funny people. Um, I, I get this question a lot. Why don't we hear more from detransitioners at first? First of all, we are seeing a mass number of them now, just in very recent, I mean, it's growing by the day almost. It used to be when I first came out in 2016, um, there were almost no, I could find literally three um, stories of people that had come out of the transgender lifestyle. I've since learned there were more out there, but they were just very, very difficult to find. Now, all of a sudden, like in the last, probably the last few months, it is just snowballing and there are so many speaking out now. But one of the reasons that we haven't for so long, and this is still not in the mainstream media, but one of the reasons I mean, think about your uh, worst mistake you've ever made in your life. The one thing you would never want people to know. And most people are not going to go talk about it on national TV or on YouTube or whatever. And I, there's so much shame. And a lot of people that have transitioned just kind of go away. And in fact, we don't have a lot of good medical statistics because there's very poor follow up. And uh, my husband read this one story. He's a lot more familiar with it than I am. But where um, the the statistics on this study were incredibly skewed because so many people um, had had dropped out of the study or um, they didn't follow up with them, they lost contact with them or whatever, and uh, so we don't know what the accurate statistics are because like I never went back 
to my doctor and told her that I detransitioned. I just kind of walked away. Um, but I can tell you, I can tell there are, um, th- like I said, this is growing. And so there's a forum that I'm part of on Reddit. And I've actually learned there are more forums out there. And this is just one. And this is just on one social media platform. And it started when I was on there a couple of years ago. It had like 15,000 members, 17,000, something like that. And it's grown to over 45,000 now. Now, there, I'm sure there are trolls on there. I'm sure there are some people on there that shouldn't be. Um, they try to regulate that pretty well, and they're they're pretty. Um, they want only detransitioners or those that are maybe questioning. Uh, but yeah, so there were there's over forty five thousand members now. Wow. Well, you know, at least they have a place where they can, you know, come out and you know get information and hopefully get some help. You know, so right. You know, that's 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 important, and the facts of what's what's happened. I think is seems to be, you know, as I, I'm studying this more, it seems to be that's a real issue that people don't know the facts and then they're just doing it and they're like, wait, there's actually real consequences to this. Yeah. And there's an incredible amount of regret out there. We're not given a platform. There's thankfully there are a few of us that have, have been given a platform for this, but so many people, they don't know how to get these stories out there and they're, they're given so much hate in return when a lot of these kids speak out, um, I think the Lord has kind of protected me. I've received a lot, but he's really shielded me from a lot and given me these open doors. Um, and I love how the, the word says that um, God can open doors that no man can shut, because I'm sure the enemy is trying to shut a lot of doors on me. But there's a lot of people when they speak out about this, they are given so much hate in return. And they're told, you know, um, they're really maligned by the community, this community that's all about love and tolerance. If you if you say I've come out of that, then it's the total opposite. But also there's um, there's some great resources out there for, um, there's a website, in addition to the ones I mentioned earlier on my website, um, and I put some on my uh, YouTube channel. I've linked some testimonies on there. I haven't created a whole bunch of videos by myself, but I've linked a bunch on my YouTube channel. Um, but there's also, there's a, a channel called, uh, I think it's just called the Trans Regret Channel, something like that. Um, that has lots of stories and they're not all necessarily from a Christian viewpoint. The, the person, um, now that person is a Christian, but um, there's another one. Uh, there are actually people that haven't even detransitioned that are speaking out about regret. Now they're not, they're not Christians, but they're just saying, look, this is horrible. I, and I would not do this or warning people. So um, some of the ones I'm, I'm familiar with is uh, one that calls himself shapeshifter um, uh, Scott Nugent and Renee Jackson. These are some people that they're not Christian. They don't see a reason to detransition, um, but they're just like this. This is a total lie, and this has not um, solved anything. And so they're really warning people as well. Um, so there's a there's a book by Walt Heyer called um, uh, Trans Life Survivors. Um, there's one called by Renee Jackson called um, Don't Get on the Plane. Um, there's lots of other resources out there. Oh, and Walt Heyer has a website called sexchangeregret.com. But these days, like I said, just in the last few months, you can look up lots of, um, transgender regret testimonies. Um, there are people out there and I'll, I'll just warn people there. This is such a wicked agenda. There are people out there who they'll title their video like trans regret And then it's a video of how much they love transition, you know, so there are people trying to trick people, but there are honestly, there are so many stories out there of people who regret transition. And, uh, and just one other thing about that. So they've done studies um, in, in Sweden, for example, it was one of the most trans affirming countries in the world. And they did a study and found that the suicide rates were almost exactly the same before and after surgery. And they were much higher than the general population. But they said even after surgery, um, it was like 19 times the general population that had had still attempted suicide. Oh, my goodness. That doesn't speak to the issue and the need to talk about it. I don't know what does. Right. So and all people, you know, I've I've canceled many people that are suicidal. All All they want is somebody to be there for them. Right. Come alongside them to be heard and to known and valued. I mean, we we have the answer to that. Right. As Christians, that's that's the good news. Amen. Yeah. Uh, how much of your desire to be a boy led you to become transgender and even to engage, you know, in pursuing drugs, alcohol and, you know, other things? I, I think even I read that you were in had some occult tendencies, 
you know, and the worldly life in your life before coming to Christ? Yeah, you know, and so much of it really stemmed from my the the sin in my own heart. Like I said, I I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but just reiterate, I really blamed my mom at, at certain points in my life. And but as I've looked back, as the Lord has healed me, as I begin to understand her story more, I responded in so much sin, and I hardened my own heart, and I remember just not wanting. Um, not wanting to read the Bible, not wanting to go to church and being full of so much anger and bitterness and being selfish. And so, yeah, I mean, I had, I had been sinned against in a lot of ways and I really didn't get an accurate picture of maybe what it meant to be a Christian who is truly filled with the faith and peace of God. Um, But at the same time, I, I sowed so much sin into that, but as a result of cutting off my mom, in fact, we call it um, defensive detachment, which is a kind of a psychological term, but just means sort of walling off the same sex parent. But as a result, we tend to project so much of um, what we believe about our parents on the entire uh, population of that sex. So, you know, it's like all women are like this. So I, and well, and what happened was I didn't get along with my um, mom very well. And I was so hurt by her. I kind of cut her off. But then because I didn't have much of a relationship with my mom or my sister, I spent all my time with my dad and my brother. And so I didn't know how to act around the girls at school. And I felt awkward and they felt unfamiliar. And so um, I really just started, you know, feeling like I didn't fit in. And I remember looking at the pictures and I always had short hair. um, Well, most of my childhood, I kind of went back and forth throughout the years, but I remember this, this conflict of really feeling like a boy of desperately wanting to be a boy. And actually at the time I could not have, I did, I never made the connection to the relationship with my mom. That's actually in hindsight at the time I would have just told you, I felt like a boy. I'd always wanted to be a boy. Um, Mm -hmm. I fit in more with the boys, but now I can kind of look back and see these causalities or maybe what we call contributing factors. But I think so much of it stemmed from my jealousy of my brother and believing that my mom wished I had been a boy instead because she had a different relationship with my brother. But that was in childhood. And I actually wrote lots of stories about me being a, a boy in my, mostly in my head. I wrote some of it down. Um, I love to write and tell stories. And so I, I would fantasize all the time about being a boy. I think to some degree I had um, grown out of it in high school, um, or at least didn't think about it much because um, I'd never even heard the word transgender. That was not on my radar. I had never considered that concept of actually transitioning, even though all my childhood, I was so jealous of boys. I wanted to be a boy. I felt like a boy. I fit in more with the boys. I didn't understand what it meant to be a girl. I didn't fit in with the girls. So I had all that turmoil. But um, but actually, studies have shown that if kids are not socially affirmed as the opposite gender, if they are given counseling, preferably, but Um, Really, if they're just, they will eventually grow out of it. And like it was 82 to 96% um, grew out of it after puberty. But now if kids are um, socially affirmed as the opposite gender, if they're cross-dressed and put on puberty blockers, 90 to 100% have wanted to go on to medical transition. And so there's a major difference there. But I think a lot of mine was just because I'd never heard that word. I was not influenced by the culture of that direction. And I didn't think there was anything I could do about it. And so I started, um, I think part of my jealousy was trying to get that love and affirmation from men. Um, I really cut off women. There were times I pursued girls, but really because I wanted to be a man, I I really was so jealous of my brother. I wanted to be a normal man in my eyes, um, but I wasn't attracted to the female body necessarily. I was very angry at women. Um, but as I began to... Um, really get into so much sexual sin and really begin to, um, to give myself away. And I was just used and abused and dumped. And I mean, just over and over and over and over again, and really began to feel like I had no worth or value as a woman. And that's when I started to look back on childhood and say, you know, the reason this never works out, the reason I was never, I'm never happy in these relationships is because I was supposed to be the man. And that's what kind of connected those two. If I hadn't been in all that sexual sin and in pornography and in giving, I didn't realize that God has a design for a reason. It's, it's not some arbitrary rule. There, there's a, a such a profound difference, especially now that I'm married and going, oh my gosh, 
the inside the bounds of marriage and in covenant with God, this is so different um, than the sexual sin I was in in the past. And, you know, there were so many times that I left so empty and so broken and feeling dirty and full of shame. Uh, I got to where I was having lots of one night stands and it was like um, just trying so hard to be loved and accepted, but it just really began to fracture me and just led to so much brokenness. And I didn't realize my, I was sowing sin into all these relationships. It was never going to work. But instead of me realizing that it was my sin that was leading to so much brokenness, um, I was thinking it's because um, I was supposed to be the man. If, you know, women don't have value, but if I was a man, then I would be respected. Then I would have value. And I, I believe that I could treat a woman better than I had been treated. Yeah, you're just talking about God's design. How did God, how did understanding your identity in Christ help you understand God's design of men and women? And why did that matter and lead you to Christ and now to be happily married? Well, I really didn't understand it at the time. This was, you know, it was such a journey with God. Some, I think sometimes God, he wants us to walk by faith and he doesn't give us all the answers up front. And so as God, um, he was working on me and I had gotten radically saved. I mean, I was so transformed. I could literally feel the Holy Spirit come and, and just begin to change me. It's like I felt alive for the first after all the years of praying the prayer and walking the aisle. <laughs> you know, I'd never been regenerated. But at that moment, when I really got born again, I was on fire for the Lord and I was pursuing the Lord. And it was such a supernatural miracle. But I wanted to be a man of God. I had no intention to go back to being female. But God began to pursue me. And it was like, God, I've, I've had these surgeries. I'd, I'd had my breasts removed. I'd had a hysterectomy. I had the ovaries removed. Um, I had facial hair. My voice was a lot lower. I had this partner that was a male to female transgender that I'd called my wife um, for eight years. Um, I transitioned or I was I lived as transgender for about nine. I lived with this partner for about eight years. And I was like, God, I just can't, I can't go back. And um, God kept convicting me more and more and more. And he, it was, there was such a, a, a paradox of, um, or a dichotomy of, he was giving me such an incredible hunger for the word and yet um, I was living in this sin and I was getting more and more convicted. And I kept trying to ignore that part of it and just get something else out of the word. Um, but I, I just got to where I couldn't. And there were so many things that influenced me that I could point to. But I remember in particular, I, I was really compelled one day to go out and buy um, a copy of Pilgrim's Progress. And like the old unabridged, I didn't want to miss a word because I wanted to read the, I don't know, it just God compelled me. I remembered hearing the story as a little kid. And I remember reading that and being so convicted and thinking, wow, there's so much more to being a Christian than like just not going to hell. <laughs> like I'm a part of a greater kingdom. And I really began to want desperately to live sold out for Jesus and to really commit my life completely to him and to be a soldier for Christ. I remember asking God to enlist me in his army, you know, <laughs> but I remember I, I was, um, I threw myself on, or I, my, uh, my dad was telling me about Jesus coming back and all the, you know, signs of the times and prophecies being fulfilled, all these things. And then my mom, I asked her what she was teaching in Bible study and she happened to be teaching on the judgment seat of Christ. And so these two ideas collided that like Jesus could come back at any moment and you're going to stand before him. And the fear of God really hit me. I went home, I threw myself on the floor and I said, God, I, I don't know what to do. Like, I, I want everything you have for me. What do you want from me? But I did not want to come out of that lifestyle. That was the last thing on my, um, on my radar. I was like, God, you can have every card with this one. But he reminded me in John chapter one, where it says, Jesus Christ himself is the creator. And he's, I thought I was being condemned because it's like, God, I'm not, this is not an option. I, what am, I can't go back. I was angry. I really began to, um, I, I knew, I mean, there was some sort of little hope in there that God had a better plan for me because my life had not worked out very well. I had destroyed my life. I was not happy. I was at first, but over the years I was disillusioned. Um, I was miserable. And I realized I had this identity that I wanted so badly. And I was like, I'm still just going to work and paying bills. Like this hasn't, this hasn't brought all the happiness and meaning that I thought it would. Um, people don't realize the, the hell that it is to live in such a narcissistic um, view of the world to try to conform everybody else to your viewpoint. And it's incredibly unfulfilling. Um, but I really, I was so miserable. I began to beg the Lord to take my life because I saw absolutely no way out. But when the Lord didn't answer that, 
Um, and I, he really just, it, it came down to um, the verse in Matthew 16, verse 24 through 26. It says, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me for whoever will save his life shall lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his own soul? Or what shall he give in exchange for his soul? And I wanted Jesus so bad. I wanted to live for this eternal kingdom. That's why this perspective is so important, that we're not living for the things of this world. It made a huge difference in my life. And as I began to live for an eternal kingdom, I thought, okay, if I just hang on until I die, I know that one day I'll no longer have a sin nature. I know that I'll have no more tears. Like one day this will somehow be okay. Um, But I really had no hope of transformation. I didn't understand God's design of male and female. I didn't really want to understand God's design of male and female. All I knew was this was incredibly painful, but I just, I wanted to obey God because I wanted, um, I, well, first of all, I mean, I loved God. I, I saw how he pursued me when, um, when I didn't want him, when I didn't want to be pursued. And I'd seen his faithfulness. I'd seen how good he was to me. I mean, like the Bible said, it's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. And I saw how holy, how righteous, how faithful, how trustworthy he was. He'd been building my faith over the last year and a half, but it really came down. I didn't know that God could heal me. And that was the incredible miracle of this all. That It wasn't like God laid out this plan of this is how you fix yourself and then come find me afterwards. I think that's how some people look at it. You know, like you go fix yourself and then you come back. But God, as I began to um, forgive my mom, as I began to forgive others that had hurt me, as I began to let go of all the lies, as I began to let go of all the bitterness. And then as I began to realize the sin in my own heart that it contributed so much to this, as I began to be more repentant of, um, of all these things. And, and over time, little by little, and as, as women in the church loved on me, as I began to get in, involved in deci- women's discipleship groups and women's Sunday school, and I just, it, it's like the layers of the onion got peeled off. And one day I looked back and it was like, wow, you know, I, I'm okay being uh, dressing as a female. And then I'm okay in this female identity and I'm, I'm okay changing my name back legally. And, and, I'm, and then one day it was like this progression. And then all of a sudden I started really loving being female, but I didn't really understand what it meant to be a woman. I just knew that I really liked being a girl for the first time in my life. And I began to understand that there was this, um, it actually started in a, a book I'd highly recommend for um, for young women called, or, well, any age woman really, but it's called um, True Woman or Divine Design, True Woman 101. And by Nancy um, Lee DeMoss at the time, she's now married, Nancy DeMoss Wolgamuth um, and Mary Cassian. But the, the study had an incredibly life-changing impact on me as I began to see that God's design of female was intentional, that there really was a difference. And I, Actually, it was the chapter on men that really got a hold of my heart because it showed me that I really was not wired like men. And that God, what I desired when I was desiring to be a man, it's actually I was desiring a man to be that for me. And so that's where that journey started. So I began to pray and ask God to teach me his design of male and female. And so I, this started, um, I really thought it was kind of a knowable, I, I thought God might teach me a thing or two, but I had no idea how God would absolutely blow my mind with the incredibly profound design. And I, I've only scratched the surface, but there are over 6,500 biological differences between men and women. Every single part of the body is designed differently. Every part of the body functions differently. Every part of the body is designed for the roles that God gave us. And so just for like one example, th- this is one of my favorite examples that I love to give. And I've, I've seen kids like their eyes just pop open. and they, Oh my gosh. You know, as they, they begin to realize how we're wired. So um, women or no men, I'll start with this, um, tend to have a better ability to um, locate where sound is coming from and to detect um, audio changes in the environment. Now, of course there can be hearing loss. There can be brain problems. I mean, so it's not like, this um, is going to be true in 100% of cases, but it's the way we're wired and designed if, if it's not for some other kind of um, defect. Or I think we can learn to adapt as well as we're around other people. But for the most part, men are, are wired and studies have proven that men have a much better ability. I don't remember what the percentages were, but it was very high um, in being able to um, 
one, detect sound, but also to shut out other sounds. They can, uh, men have a better ability to, to focus on one particular sound. And so, um, I have this an is example of that. So, so you're, you're the example that you're using reminds me of the air filter because, you know, with the, the men and shutting out sounds, because we can have that thing, we can have the air filter on and we can have the windows open and everything. And I'll hear something out like outside and, you know, it's pretty loud. It, you know, it's, it's loud, but, uh, I'll, I'll hear the dog outside. I'll hear the cat. Uh, and my wife's like, I'm like, did you hear that? And she's like, no. And it's so interesting that you bring that out because it happens all the time. And my wife's like, I didn't hear anything. And, but she'll, yeah. hear, she'll hear other things. And I'm like, but I heard that. And she's like, I don't know how you heard that. I'm like, I don't yeah. know. I just did. I did. So. Yeah, it's amazing. And see, men can focus on those sounds. And it's actually, there's a difference in the way that the ear or the brain interprets sound. Um, and there's a, there's a whole lot more to it. But also, see, women tend to hear lots of sounds at once, and it's harder to focus. Um, and they did this study, like, where um, they had men at a party and being able to, um, where there was lots of noise in the room, and yeah. but being able to detect certain sounds. Um, but then women have a hard time tuning out repetitive noise. And mm. uh, so, for example, where, you know, I think we're wired and designed basically to not be able to tune out a baby's cry, for example. Um, but this is just for an example. So like with the barking dog, so eventually, um, I think, are you able to like tune out the, the barking dog if you want to listen to something else or you can kind of ignore it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Unless he's like scratching at the door. Right. Right. Door. And I'm like, I can hear that over like when we're talking. Right. I can hear that <laughs> over. I'm like, stop it. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So anyway, they, um, but men, but think about the way that God designed men to be the protector of the home, to be able to be much more aware of subtle changes um, to, to sounds and things like that, um, to be the protector and the provider of the home, but women to be able to take care and nurture the children and to not be able to tune out that, but also to be, um, um, everything's kind of connected for women. So we we're kind of aware of everything all at once, but anyway, so it's an incredible, it's an incredibly complex design, but every single part of the body is designed this way because our sex chromosomes are in every cell of the body. And ultimately this is all about displaying the glory of God because we have, you know, God has different aspects that he, um, that, that women reflect in different, you know, we reflect his nurture the relationship, um, the, the softness and the kindness of God, you know, the men display his, his power, his strength, things like that. Mm. And even if it's not a physical strength, you know, there are a lot of men that, that don't have the physical strength, but um, tend to be stronger emotionally, more strength of mind, um, things like that, where it's just in, in the beauty of that compliment to see what it all points to, that this is about displaying the glory of God not only in those characteristics, but also in the coming together of male and female and really representing, like Ephesians 5 says, displaying the beauty of Christ and the bride. It's hmm. really good. But what, what does gospel hope and freedom look like for those stuck in transgenderism? Well, I think, you know, those stuck in transgenderism or any kind of sexual sin, yeah. ultimately that God can and can heal and fix all that brokenness. There are reasons that we embrace things that are unnatural. Romans 1 gives us a very clear picture of this that people are turned over to lust, then to unnatural lust, and then to over to a reprobate mind where we reject the truth that we know because we want what we want so badly. But if you go back to the beginning, it says that they um that God's revealed himself to everyone um and but they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful but yeah. became vain in their imagination and their foolish heart was dark and professing themselves to be wise. They became fools and exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Now that starts at that, that piece of not being thankful is so important. Uh, a couple of years ago, I watched, uh, I was sick one weekend and this was kind of funny because I think God set this whole thing up to teach me a lot because I'd committed to God for that week that I would not watch any TV or movies or anything. And then mm -hmm. I got the flu and I couldn't do anything. And so <laughs> I caught, um, I ended up watching literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of testimonies of all different walks of life. They weren't all LGBT or not necessarily even sexual sin, but just all kinds of different things. But God taught me a lot about how he works in people's lives. But one of the, the things that I, I 
I learned that was so profound is almost every case, um, the thing that turned people's heart away from the Lord was some form of this question, maybe not these exact words, although I heard these exact words quite a bit, but, um, you know, some form of this thought or question, if God is good, why did he allow this in my life? And it's interesting because Romans tells us that it's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. So it's doubting God's goodness that leads us away from God, but it's embracing God's goodness, seeing God's goodness that that leads us to repentance. And I think, um, so the hope of this is, you know, there are things that have happened in life where we turn our heart away from God. And as we turn away from our, if he is totally good, if he is all light, it says there's no darkness in him at all. He is love. And there's um, only goodness in him. When we turn away from him, it leads to so much brokenness, just like all my sexual sin that I thought would find love and happiness. And it ended up absolutely destroying me. And it led to so much brokenness. But one of the things that's said about the Messiah is that he was sent to bind up the brokenhearted. And I, I, I think one of the, the, the key things for anyone who's struggling is that, yes, God can rescue you. You can't fix yourself, but he can. And no matter what you've done, um, he still wants you. He, he pursues you and he loves you. He wants you in his family. But we're not, um, you know, there's a lot of people out there believe that, um, that everybody is God's child. And, you know, we're all just like, we're all going to heaven, this very universalist view. But, but the Bible tells us that um, for those who believe on his name, they're given the power to become the children of God. We have to accept Jesus. Then we are given power by the Holy Spirit to overcome sin. And one of the, the most profound but simple truths that in um, Colossians 3.10, it, it says that you will be renewed as you learn to know your creator. So I think one of the, you know, we can, we will spin ourselves crazy trying to figure out how to fix ourselves. But if you will submit your life to Christ, if you really un- believe that he was sent from heaven, that he was God made flesh, that he was, you know, um, crucified for your sin as a penalty or as a payment for your sin, that he, his life was given in exchange for yours. And that, but that he was raised from the dead three days later, if you put your faith and trust in him and in that payment for your sin, then he will give you new life. And as you learn to know him, he is going to heal and fix all that brokenness. Yeah, it's really good. Where can, where can people go to find out more about yourself uh, uh, online, on your website, or on social media? Uh, they can go to my website, transgender2transformed.com, and they can buy my book there. They can um, buy the prodigal prayer guide that I think I mentioned earlier. Um, also, if you have any friends that um, only speak Spanish or maybe their English is not very good, I have quite a few resources available in Spanish. Uh, my book in Spanish is available on my website, but also... Um, if you look on YouTube, um, look for uh, Laura Perry in Spanish, and it's um, it's from a Viva Nuestros Corazones. So anyway, I've, I've, there have been a huge um, number of Hispanic people reaching out. So I've got some videos out there, but also I've got a firststone.org. And that's not the number. It's spelled out F-I-R-S-T and then stone.org. Um, you can contact me there as well. So please reach out. I'd love to hear from you. You know, there's a, there's a lot that as we... Uh, conclude this first part that we could talk about and we've really only scratched the surface but just as we wrap up this particular conversation can you give us a few takeaways yeah i I think most important is you know we really have to decide in this in this life who we're going to live for i think if we really commit our lives to christ if we live for something greater we're all searching to live for something greater than ourselves it is so unfulfilling to live this selfish lifestyle that just wants to fulfill our own flesh. We can live for a much greater purpose and live for the kingdom of God and to make an impact on this world. Um, but, but really understand that God loves you infinitely more than you can ever understand that he is, um, that he's not going to leave you there. He's not going to leave you as in bondage to your sin. He can heal all that sin and brokenness, but you need to commit your life to the Lord to make him Lord of your life and go his way and stop trying um, to, to live your life your own way. Um, and also to the parents out there, never, ever, ever give up on your prayers. I know I would not be here if it were not 
for the prayers of my parents and so many more. Um, and get other people praying with you. Get a copy of the Prodigal Prayer Guide. Um, there's also a free PDF version if you want, if you prefer that to bind the book. Um, but yeah, just don't give up on your prayers because I know God did a supernatural work in me that no one else could have ever made. Mm, wonderful. Well, yeah, so we've been talking today with Laura uh, Perry Smoltz about her book, Transgender to Transformed, a story of transition that will truly set you free. Come back next time because we're going to get into these things and how they're affecting, you know, our, our the church and also, you know, our, our culture. So thank you for joining us for this part one, Laura. All right. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure to be here. Thank you for listening to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate us on the app, and share this with your friends and family on social media. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at Servants of Grace, on Instagram at Servants of Grace, or by searching at Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this episode and many others like it on the front page of our website, servantsofgrace.org.